Hello and welcome to KeeperCast, the Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast. I'm Sammy. I'm Ivy. And this is episode 29C, which was still brought to you by Nolan screaming because I didn't want to think of something new. So yeah, today we are actually going to be talking about chapters 55 through 65 of, I was about to say legacy, what book is this? Never seen. Never seen. Never seen, yeah. Um, because it took a while for us to get here. We were talking about other things and answering all of your messages which are very nice so that was parts of a and b of this but now we are on the main part of the episode i'm sorry i've done like no prep for this because i i read the section last week <laughs> or like a week and a half ago i i read this section like a few years ago so we'll see what happens so yeah it starts with um sophie and the squad head back to exilium to find out that it has been improved after sophie like yelled at the council um for running a really terrible school and my question that i have written down here on my phone is that if it was that easy to fix everything about it to like bring in fresh food and like make it make the place actually have like up-to-date equipment and stuff it was that easy what hasn't it been done before? I actually have an answer to this. I feel like the whole vibe of Exilium was like they were trying to punish them. And I mean, well, obviously, like th- that was kind of what it was for. They were exiles and they didn't really think that they or the council and people like didn't really think that they deserved to have like a school. It was more like prison. But then, plus they but learned then why? Why did they fix it when Sophie asked them to? I think because maybe... Well, well, I think because, like, Sophie made them realize, like, oh, like, we should be, like, teaching them things because they're still children. I don't know. Well, that is a lot of power for one, like, 12-year-old to have, in my honest opinion. Yes. (laughs) Oh, actually, wait, thinking about this now, things actually kind of make sense because she told Orly about it, right? And Orly is, you know, <gasps> Orly has a soft spot for Sophie for reasons that will be revealed later. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know if that was intended. I feel like it might have been an accident. Or not. Or not. I think probably she just knew, like, or, like, there was just, like, Orly really liked Sophie and she'd do whatever Sophie wanted, kind of. Yes, that was really clear. <laughs> But yeah, I, I get I get what you're saying. Like, I mean, I th- I think Orly being Sophie's biological mom, I think that was planned from earlier on. Don't quote me on that because I'm not sure. But I think there were like clues that were in places. Shrugs. I don't actually know. The next thing that I thought was interesting to talk about is that now we learned Roy Ignis's name because before we didn't know it. He was just like the psionopath. So... Now we know who he is. Um, and they went through like the Exilium records and stuff with Dex's Twiggler, and they found like found out a lot of the reasons why. Well, okay, here's the thing: the records were really vague, and I feel like if you have, I don't know if they're like considered court documents or something like that, but like I feel like you'd want to be really specific about the reason you banish someone, like just in case you wanted to go look at it later but all it says is just actions irredeemable actions irredeemable and it's like okay what does that mean 
Okay, okay, theory, theory, theory. What if, you know how the counselors like put stuff in caches so they don't have to look at it? Like, what if this is kind of a similar idea? What could like, he have that done that's so bad exists? that it would have had to have been put in a cache though? Like, well, not necessarily a cache, but it's just somewhere that, so that the counselors don't have to look at it and they can just be like, oh yeah, just like, no, you go away. Like, cause that is sort of the whole thing of the lost cities. They just cover all this stuff up and like, they're like, okay, you did a bad thing. Go away. You're exiled. Even the idea of like exiling someone, even the idea of exiling someone is like, you're not even dealing with the problem. You're just being like, okay, you move over there. Like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> bye. <laughs> It still just kind of makes me think, because, like, if you look at the earlier books, they had no problem, like, talking about Finton's crimes or whatever. So whatever Roy did, which we still don't really know for sure, I think, what Roy did. That's true. But, like, it must have been of some sort of greater magnitude, which is sort of, like, it doesn't fit quite right with me in terms of, like, how important of a character Roy is, because if he's capable of doing these huge crimes, then, like, why isn't he a more important Never Seen member? Like, I feel like he never really gets... He never gets a personality. He never gets a physical appearance. He nev- He's kind of always been just this other Never Seen character who is necessary whenever they need to make a force field. I feel like he's underutilized for, like, the amount of power that they say that he has. Also, psionopaths are just, like, in general, very useful. They did that in Lodestar, and that was good, but then they were like, never mind, like, go, like... Right, like, like they only need Roy whenever they need either a force field or a hostage. In Lodestar, it was both. (laughs) Well, the force field causes the hostage situation. You can hold a person in a force field. This is is getting into Lodestar territory, which is not what we're talking about, but I thought that the scene on the cover, right, was that Roy had them trapped in a force field, but then they did a thing to, like, knock him out, so then they took Roy as a hostage. Oh, did they now? I don't remember anything from Lodestar, so that could definitely be true. You know, valid and also mood. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I wanted to point out about when they're, when they're discovering Roy Ignis's troubled past is Fitz, Fitz is like, oh, he was at Foxfire around the same time as my brother. I wonder if they knew each other. <laughs> The foreshadowing in this book is just so much. That's always fun, I feel like. When it's, yeah. Yeah, no, it's like, it's like ham-fisted foreshadowing like that. Like, it's fun to reread when you didn't catch it the first time. Mm-hmm. Like That's true. I don't know if it's actually valid that I didn't figure out that Olvar was, like, a bad guy on my first read-through of Never Seen. Like, maybe I just didn't see anything and, like, other people saw it. I have no idea. But... Personally, I find this really fun because I'm seeing all this stuff for the first time. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like, I, I, I think, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm the one who figured everything out about Never Seen, and you figured everything out about Everblaze. Yes, I did. Yeah. I did call Brant's Betrayal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I called all of that in Never Seen, but I think I, I like that in, I like the all the foreshadowing in the sense that it, I feel like it enhances, like, the tone and the mood of the story because... I, like, I think just that kind of makes it feel a little bit more middle grade, if that makes sense. And it's like, oh, like, yeah, yeah. like they're guiding us along and it's not trying to trick the reader. It's more like just a fun story. 
Yeah, and, like, honestly, in a story, like, I would prefer having too much foreshadowing over having too little. Yeah, exactly. Because then you get payoff. Well, right, like, one, there's payoff, and two is that even if you have too much foreshadowing, it's there so you can see that the author actually knows what they're doing. Whereas, if you have no foreshadowing, if something just comes out of nowhere, you're like, are they just making this up as they go along? The next scene was about cognate training. We have a little so-fit scene ah! where they're starting to find <laughs> each other's emotional centers, which couldn't possibly be a symbol for anything. Nope, nothing. Nothing at all. I, I have absolutely no idea what that could mean. They're just best friends, you know? Yeah. You trust each other completely. Yeah. Wow, this is terrible now that we know that so-fit is not a thing anymore. Yeah, see, the thing is, like, if... Like, real talk here, like, if, like, they were both the same gender, that would literally be what everyone would be saying, unironically. I hate that you're right. And that's, that's the team. <laughs> I hate that you're right, because it's the exact same thing that's happening with Morella and Lynn. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Why do we always bring up Morella and Lynn in this podcast? Because they're important. They are the most important ship. Okay, true, fine. Out of that's... all of the ships. <laughs> Although, okay, sort of related to that, something that did bug me a little bit about this section um, was that, like, Keith kept pointing out the fact that, like, they were, like, he was, like, trying to push Sofits together in this scene, and I was not a fan of that, because it just felt like they were really, like, hammering it in that, like, yeah, Sophie and Fitz are supposed to like each other, do you see it, do you see it, hmm? And it's like, I don't, like, I can reach that conclusion on my own based on the number of times that sophie's heart flutters yes <laughs> like i don't need keith telling us okay on the one hand i agree with you that it's like yeah it's it is just like pounded into like really hard but maybe partially it could also like the fact that it's keith doing that it could also maybe be part of the fact that like does does keith like sophie at this point I don't know. I feel like he does. Like, to a certain extent, at least. And I mean, it doesn't even have to be, like, romantic or anything. It's just, like, he clearly... Or maybe not clearly, but I feel like in Never Seen, Keith is, like... Keith and Sophie's relationship is developing, and Keith is feeling a little bit defensive or wary of, like, her other relationships being more important. And I think maybe him, like, saying all this stuff could be him trying to be like, no, like, I'm okay with it, I'm okay with it, but, like... Right, because he, really. he deflects his emotions using humor. Yeah, exactly. He, that's mm-hmm. what he does. Yeah, it does kind of remind me of, like, some of the conversations that went on in Nightfall, I think, um, about, yeah, like, some of the things Keith was saying and how he seemed to be kind of, like, defensive or trying to, like, push away his, his feelings toward towards Sophie during that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Characterization. We love it. <laughs> yeah. Love that characterization. What's up with fungus? Um, I, I don't know. Many things are up with fungus. Yeah, so... <laughs> right, I forgot. Like, Foxfire? Um, so during the Cognite training session, they had to go to, like, this cave that was filled with fungus because the fungus was supposedly... um Like, it helps you like reach your emotional center like it helps with telepathic abilities or something like that and I'm just sort of wondering like so fungus has come up like three times so far in this series 
I don't know. It just feels weird. It, like, it's kind of an... <clears throat> I don't mind it. It's nice, but it's just kind of weird whenever they just keep saying fungus. And, okay, I'm sorry not to keep going on about uh, the cognate training, because I know we wanted to make this shorter. Um, but they were talking... There was a part where they were talking about how emotions influence telepathy. And I was just like, oh! Because I, I've, I've always had this idea of, like, this thing of, like... Like, there's... Like, talents aren't totally separate from each other, and, um... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, it, for a lot of it, it seemed like the techniques that Fitz was using to reach Sophie's emotional center, it felt a lot like empath skills rather than telepathy skills. So, I feel like there's some sort of overlap that's starting here, and I thought that was cool. Yeah, I think, I think we talked about this before with, like, the Lord Cassius's book, where he was, like, mm-hmm, where he was, like, empathy... Ooh, nice. Okay, where he was like, empathy comes from the mind and like, not the heart or whatever. And it's like, and I, yeah, it's like empathy and telepathy. There's like just different kinds like of energies. Two sides of the same coin are like, kind of the same skill because they're yeah. both in the mind, but it's just like it manifests in different ways depending on like. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, 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 okay. So like, I think I, we should uh, count the number of times you say okay on here. <laughs> and that's kind of sort of like the difference between Fitz and Keith and like their even like their families and stuff and like because like Fitz his whole life he's grown up to be very logical and rational and reasonable and like you know to use his brain to think about things but Keith rather has kind of been pushed away or like pushed through these like so the talents come from nurture rather than yeah oh bro (laughs) (laughs) wait that's a really good theory actually Anyway, um, anyway, Cassius, um, he's terrible, so, <laughs> yeah, so, um, at, at the end of this conversation, we learned that Mr. Forkel has been meeting with Lord Cassius because he wants to join the Black Swan. Keith is not happy about this, and I'm not happy about it either. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, like, do whatever you want, dude, but, like, I think it was just a little sketchy how he was, like, he was just kind of going behind their back, and, like, I know, like, don't, like, yeah, like, don't, like, purposefully, like, bring, like, your son into this, but, like, I don't know, he just, the way he was going about it, he still seemed, like, annoying, and, and I just was not into that. Cassius is always annoying. That's true. <laughs> He's just, like, literally everything he says just makes me be like, no, go away. Yeah. Can he die? Wait, no, wait. <laughs> no, he, he's currently still alive, as of uh, September 3rd, 2020. <laughs> It's September 3rd? Wait, oh, it's Loop Day! I totally forgot about that. Oh, fun! For, um, like, the Miss Peregrine book series. That's the day of, of, their, of the loop. Yeah. Okay, now, the next scene. It's another window slumber party. And I have some things to say about it. Oh, oh. So, <laughs> I have never shipped Sokeef. I'm gonna start by saying that. I started off shipping sofits and then when that sank i at this point i don't really ship anything however however while reading this section last week i may have changed my mind <gasps> i think that so is really cute see i am yeah we're we are the we are compliments right you don't really ship anything i ship everything so I'm very excited to hear that. 
And I don't know if this opinion might change. I feel like, based on the later books and what I know about Keefe's non-character arc, um, my opinions may change back. However, as of this point, Keefe and Neverseen is really well-written, and so is Sophie. Their relationship right now is just kind of chef's kiss, and I love it. There, I said it. I am a simp for so, Keefe. <laughs> this is a momentous occasion. It is. You have. Is. You have. This is the first time I've so like... since you were like twelve years old. I know, but like, I can appreciate the dynamics now. I think, like, they they're they're good together. They're good. Yeah. And, right. <laughs> yeah, and like, the 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 window sleepovers are just they. They they make my sad little shriveled heart like grow like the Grinch. <laughs> it's like <laughs> And it's like okay, um this is sort of unrelated, but uh during Slumber Party number two, so the one that we read last week, um, Sophie like she can't talk to him, so she writes a little sign that says, I'm here, and she presses it against the window. And Personally, I was just remembering Taylor Swift's You Belong With Me music video. Oh my god, I have not <laughs> seen it. She has that sign that's like, are you okay? But maybe that's just me, and that's just like showing oh. how old and wizened I am. <laughs> <laughs> old and wizened remembering. Wait, actually, the ripe was, old age of 18. That was like a, a... I don't watch music videos, though, so maybe I would have seen it if like I did watch music videos. Fearless came out when I was really... I remember listening to Fearless as, like, a five-year-old. Yeah, because I, I, um, I, bought, I bought the CD, like, a year or a couple years after it came out. And at that point, I think I was, like, eight or nine. But, yeah, yeah, no, we had, we had Fearless and Speak Now. And I, um, I really, I really love those CDs because when, in the little booklets, like, they, they had you lyrics you had to decode like the um secret lyrics in it and that was like you know eight-year-old me being a sleuth <laughs> anyway anyway yeah uh oh back to more things that make me that make my heart feel emotions we also get a Fitz flashback which is like very exciting because i love anything to do with my boy Fitz. um but we get a flashback about like how when he was while he was searching for Sophie and like while he was in the Forbidden Cities and there was like like he was trying to save this pigeon with a broken leg or something. Um and it's such like a silly little scene, but I love it a lot. And it also just makes me think about like like how Fitz was like wandering around the lost cities by himself looking for someone who may or may not have existed at the age of like six to 14. <laughs> That's a very large range, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also think like that it kind of shows how he's changed in a little bit of a sad way because I mean, at least judging from what we know now, you know, with like what he, is like what he's done recently it's like if he was in the same situation now like he would not try to save the bird Ooh, 
I think. Ooh, you're kind of right, I think. Right? That hurts. Yeah. He'd be like, no, I gotta, I gotta do my mission. That's a bit painful. Hmm. And that makes me sad. <laughs> Today we're sad. Because on the one hand, it's like, okay, he's like matured and stuff. But like, but yeah, it's like, okay. Wow, I'm, I'm thinking about Fitz in like a whole new way now. Like, because it kind of ties into this thing that we were saying before about how like Keith and Fitz were like raised in different ways and Fitz was raised to you know, care about, like, the greater good and the mission, and, I mean, that is, it's not just affected, like, his skills and stuff, it's, like, really affected, his like, whole his life. personality and what he would yeah. do. Yeah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> when we get those glimpses into other characters' minds, like, characters who aren't Sophie, we see more of their backstory, more of, well, they're technically still children, so I can't really say they're childhoods, but, like... Yeah, but they're, like, earlier childhoods. Yeah. It's it's nice and also sad. Mm-hmm. So now, for sadder things, the plague. We... There's a lot of information that's just kind of dumped here, but we're kind of short on time, so I can just list the information quickly. Sure. <laughs> if that works. That works. All right. We learned the backstory of Morella's mom. She suffered a traumatic head injury. Um, the council is full of BS as usual. They are trying to say that there is no war in Bossing Say. However... <laughs> okay. Okay, just continue. <laughs> Um, they tell a bunch of gnome lore. We get gnome lore about how the gnomes, I'm saying gnomes a lot, how the gnomes were driven out of their homeland by the ogres. However, the council doesn't really care at this point. The Four Seasons tree, we find out, is a panics tree. It was, um, created by the four gnome leaders who sacrificed themselves to make a giant tree. Um, Stan Nolan, loud boy. (laughs) And then, when things couldn't get worse, King Dimitar shows up, and... He's like, play? I don't know her. Um, yeah, he basically denies having any knowledge of the plague, plague because it's definitely not biological warfare or anything, even though all pieces of evidence point to the plague having originated from the ogres. And then we have a dramatic reveal. Fintan <laughs> is not dead. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of things that happened in really, really quick succession. Um... And I was kind of overwhelmed, actually, because I was, like, a whole, like, several pages of exposition followed by, oh, wait, right, Fintan's not dead. You know, I have it, I have it written here in all caps, Fintan is alive, next quote, I mean, next bullet. You know who's not alive? Kenrick! Kenrick! Why did I, wow, that was just a knee-jerk reaction, like, Kenrick! Slammed, (laughs) hyper-buzzing. You didn't think about it? (laughs) But, um, yeah, so... Essentially, King Dimitar has some demands. He wants the gnomes to, like, serve the ogres in exchange for the cure because he claims that he has the cure. Um, but, but like, that just also brought up the question in my head of, like, okay, so King Dimitar has this very clear motive, but what does Fintan want? Like, why is he here? What is his purpose? I know he wants to, like, destroy all the humans or whatnot, or, like, do whatever the heck Vesper was doing with the humans. But, like, how is this related to the gnomes? How is this related to the plague? Okay, I think 
okay, I, I think that maybe it's because King Dimitar is, like, on board with this plan, right? He's like, yeah, human stuff. Or more like, yeah, like, I'll just, like, help you do that. And so King Dimitar wants the gnomes to, like, serve him because the gnomes are super, like, good at stuff and the ogres are not that good at stuff. And so if they can get the gnomes to help, like, then they can, like, grow their kingdom and, like, expand and get, mm. like, better stuff. So the ogres are, like, part of Fenton's plan somehow. Kind of, yeah. Like, like the ogres, because Fenton on his own, or even with the Never Seen, maybe they're not strong enough to, like, do anything substantial. But, like, with a really, really strong, like, like nation of, like, ogre warriors, they could, like, do some damage. That is interesting. So, yeah, that was a very fast recap of a lot of things that happened in, like, two chapters. Um, basically, a lot of stuff goes down in Eternalia, and then, so afterwards, they kind of have to, like, get out of there because, um, things are not going well, so they head out of there with Timkin Hex, who is apparently now a part of the Black Swan, and they go to his house, where his whole family is a family of horse girls, apparently, (laughs) and, oh my um, god, (laughs) It's like a, which, okay, actually, I actually think that, like, being a unicorn trainer and, like, doing what the Hex family does is actually really cool. Um, yeah. Um, but there is this part where they, they do meet Stina. And, okay, I feel like a lot of those, like, secondary characters from the first book, like Stina, Genzi, Morella, they're all just kind of showing up for, like, one scene in this book to, like, remind you that they're here. Yeah, yeah, and then just, like, they kind of give up on that later, and then they're just like, who, who's that? <laughs> yeah, um, but it's like, yeah, so this is Stina's, like, one allotted scene, but she does have a great quote, which is when she's she's alone with Sophie, and she sort of lets go of that whole, like, sort of bully persona that she had kept up for that first couple books, and she was like, she sort of admits, like, yeah, if no one can save us, uh, or no, that's not, no, that's not the quote. It's, she kind of admits, like, Sophie, if you can't do it, if you can't save us, then I don't know who can. And that was, like, that was, that was a good moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's a really good moment and a nice moment with Stina. And, I mean, maybe that's also a little, uh, it has a little bit of, of darkness to it, because in Sophie's eyes, this might not be what she's thinking, but in Sophie's eyes, it's like, oh my god, like, if, it's the same thing, right? If I can't do this, who can? I'm 13. Like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Right, it's like, yeah, it's, it's very much like there's so much pressure on Sophie already because it might seem really great to have all these abilities and like all this cool stuff in your DNA. But like, really, it's true that like, if she can't save them, then probably literally nobody can. And then, yeah, so, like, the very end of the section, sort of wrapping it up, um, is this, there's a sort of quick, weird little thing where Keith sort of tries to run away. Um, he does? Yeah, he tries to go and, like, storm Ravagog on his own, pretty much, because he's chaotic stupid. And when Sophie, like, wakes up and she finds him gone, the narration, I I flagged this, the narration said, based on what she knew about Keith, she was pretty sure his response would be reckless. Hmm. You think? That's very accurate. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, 
again, with the foreshadowing, well, maybe this isn't quite foreshadowing, but, like, the ending, yeah, that's in line with how Keef is characterized in this book. See, Keef is such a good character, never seen. Like, I can't get over this. He had, like, just, like, the right amount of, like, stupidity, like, combined, <laughs> combined with, like, being, like, really, like, soft and vulnerable, but also, like, I will run at you with, like, a not sharp stick and then, like, expect to win. <laughs> <laughs> with the yes, twiggler would do that i want to see somebody get stabbed with the twiggler that would be excellent it's like got two two uses i want to see fitz stab someone like this is not related but like i would like to see fitz stab someone please i agree i think fitz stabbing someone would be great seeing as he has been stabbed <laughs> that's true a stab <laughs> for a stab <laughs> yeah the one last thing i wanted to say about the section was that at the very end they're like, Keith, that's a terrible idea to go storm Ravagog on your own. We're coming with you. <laughs> and so they were like, they're like making plans and stuff. And they're like, okay, we need one person who like knows how Ravagog is structured and knows how the Ogre Society works. So that's out of the people we know, that's pretty much either Alvar or Lady Cadence. And they settle on Alvar. And I was just thinking, imagine how differently things would have gone in this, in the last section of this book if they had gone with lady cadence yeah oh my god that would have been huh that kind of makes me think like basically lady cadence is kind of mean and <laughs> i think that kind of their decision here was a little bit immature and it was like kind of showing like like yeah. we're taking the cool brother yeah right like they they're getting older and stuff but they would still rather choose like the guy who's like you know not super great at like who who you know is still obviously like a young person than you know like lady cadence who literally is like the best at everything ever like yeah so that was about all i had for this section um and I know we should probably wrap up, so let's do that. You can find us at KeeperCast on Instagram. Wait, no. I got my script mixed up. KeeperCast on Tumblr or the KeeperCast on Instagram. Um, you can send us a message. We'll answer it on one of the episodes. All that cool stuff. You can also find me at Malamelting on Tumblr and Instagram. Although, I'm going to be very inactive on Instagram because I just lost my Photoshop subscription. <gasps> So no more edits from me. Oh. Yeah, my school finally realized that I don't attend there anymore. So, <laughs> and um, you can find me at Aylin Dash Ashriver Dash Galathinius on Tumblr. This has been KeeperCast. See you next week. Mm-hmm.